effect uh, in the last while. So as a result of that, my message today is titled Looking to God in Him Alone. And so the songs that the worship team did um, this morning just fit, absolutely fit uh, with what I'm going to be talking about today. Uh, so anyway, with that in mind, this message is actually kind of like a series of smaller messages. There's probably three to four mini sermons within this one message. The first one, the first sermon or the first section is, I'm titling it Spiritual Warfare. Okay? Um, you don't hear me talk a lot uh, about the devil, about Satan, about spiritual warfare. I've been around people in my adult Christian life who do talk about that a lot. Um, but it's just not, it's been something that for me, um, I like to focus, put my focus on God. And, but I know that there is a devil, that there is an enemy of my soul and of yours. And so today, this section, I just want us to, I want to talk about this again because it's not something that Stephen or I mentioned very often here, but we need to not be ignorant of the enemy's devices. Okay? So, um, first of all, let me say that the devil is not God's equal opposite. Did you get that? The devil is not God's equal opposite. And sometimes I think... Yes, we know that, but in our unconscious mind, we correlate the devil as being equal to God oppositely. But that's not the case, and we need to make sure that we don't have it that way in our subconscious mind. Okay? All right. Um, he is a fallen angel that God kicked out of heaven. Okay? That's who he is. He's a fallen angel that God kicked out of heaven. And it's his job. He has, um, for my sermon, I'm giving him a three-part job description. And it comes from John 10.10. 10. That is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Okay? That's what his job is here on the earth. So... With that in mind, we as Christians need to be aware that that's what he's about, okay? And we need to be careful that we don't disregard it, but we also don't need to be in fear, fear of it either, okay? All right, um, you need to be aware that there is an enemy of your soul and of your life and that it is his job to wreak havoc in your life, in your family, in this church, and in anything that your life is touched by. Don't think of that as strange because that is his job and he's doing his job. All right. We need to be mindful of that and recognize the works of the enemy and go to war using our spiritual weapons. What are those weapons? Well, Ephesians 6, 10 through 18 tells us. All right, so we're going to go there, starting with verse 10. It says, finally, 
Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. Stand therefore then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, and with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Some things that stand out to me as I went through this and was looking at it was verse 11. It says, put on the full armor of God. Again, in verse 13, put on the full armor of God. Notice the emphasis on full, not partially, not just a couple of pieces of it, but all of it. He is instructing us, Paul is, to make sure we put on the full armor of God. All right? So that stood out to me. And then when you look at the different pieces of the armor, uh, it talks about the belt of truth that goes around the waist, the breastplate of righteousness, okay, feet um, ready with the gospel of peace, If you notice, and and it's going to actually say so when you get to the last one, but all of these are really the word of God. Every one of them is the word of God because that's where we fight from. That's God's instruction to us. All right. Um, In addition to this, take up the shield of faith, which which you extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the spirit, okay? Um, You know, not just praying from our natural intellect, but getting in the flow of what the Holy Spirit is doing. Remember, Holy Spirit is the third part of God, okay? They're all one, but there's three parts, okay? When we pray, we need to get into the flow There is a flow going from the throne of God that we need to tap into. And we need to get into that flow and flow with it. When you pray in your prayer language that God gives you, your tongues, Scripture says that the Holy Spirit prays according to the will of God. So when you use your prayer language, your tongues that God gives you to pray, you are automatically flowing in that will of God for you, for other people, for situations, okay? You come out of your natural mindset of prayer, and you start flowing in that. So that's another encouragement to us. Pray in your prayer language more often, and that's a reminder for me as well, okay? Um, Be alert, that last scripture. Be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. All right. Being alert is part of spiritual warfare. We need to be aware. We don't need to be ignorant of the devil's devices. The devil is out to destroy your life, your health, your family, your marriage, your finances, your peace of mind, your prosperity. The interesting thing, folks, is all of these things We have to deal with it in flesh and blood, right? (laughs) 
me and Cynthia, when we're having issues, it is flesh and blood that she sees with me and I see with her. But the thing that I have to remember and she has to remember is that the devil is trying to destroy our marriage and our family. And when we realize that, both of us take a step back and we go, it's not Michael. It is Michael in the flesh, but the enemy is using Michael. The enemy is using Cynthia to try and bring us division in between us. Okay? Now, so what do we do? I go to prayer. She goes to prayer. We come together. We talk about what's going on. So it doesn't mean that there's no flesh and blood interaction that you have to deal with. But the first recourse is prayer. One, being alert to what's happening, and then both of us going to God in prayer. And when both of us go to God in prayer, then we can come together and work on the strategy. Okay? Remember that. Um. Every blessing God has given you or plans to give you, it is the enemy's job to come against that in order that God not be praised and glorified through you. So my purpose in bringing this up to you today is to get us from head knowledge to being consciously aware that we need to go to God first and in the strength of the Lord and clothed with the armor of God to use the spiritual weapons God has given us to fight the principalities and powers that wage war against us. In this age of everything being able to be explained by reason and intellect, we omit this very vital and real part of the Christian life far too often. So I just wanted to, that was part sermon number one. Okay, so... Be, be mindful of that. Be alert and know that you're in spiritual warfare whether you choose to fight it or not. You're in it as a Christian. Next uh, part of the sermon is titled Signs of Our Time or Signs for Our Time. So I want to give you a couple of personal things here. Uh, I mentioned to you, I think it was last week, that I had uh, gone to... Duke and had my um, checkup and everything was successful and that was a huge praise to God. Well, <clears throat> I had to go to one facility to do one thing and then go over to another facility to do some other tests. Well, um, at the first facility that I went to, um, when I went to check in, the lady at the, where you check in, she um, said to me, she said, we are starting a new thing here. She said, and um, we would like to scan your eye because we're going to start using that for um, security and for security and something else. Oh, identification. And um, immediately I just went, huh? You know, just like in my, on the inside of me it was like, Mm -mm, I'm not ready for this. And uh, now, you know, I don't know. I mean, it might not be anything wrong with that, what they were planning to do with it. But for me, when she said it, it was just like, uh, you just went a step too far for me, lady. And I told her, I said, nope. I said, I am not doing that. And she said, okay. She said, you don't have to. I said, uh, good, because <laughs> I'm not doing it. I would have turned around and left. I just wasn't doing it because I just got a, mm-mm, I am not doing that. Now, I am not saying to you that you don't ever need to submit to an iris scan. But at that moment when I was there, it was like, mm-mm. And it's like, nope, I am not doing that. And then I was watching TV uh, recently. Uh, the news, and uh, there was an article uh, on national news, and they were talking about restaurants and different businesses around the nation that have um, stopped taking cash. And so the only form of payment that you can use now is a card 
or even the more modern things that they're going to, the, uh, implanting tips and other things. And as I was sitting there with listening and watching that, I was like, this sounds just like the uh, mark of the beast that I've heard people talk about many years ago. Now, whether it leads to that or not, it may not. It may not, okay? Um, I don't know that it will. But it certainly reminded me of it because really when uh, you read about that in Revelation, what it gets to is not so much the method of it, but it's the fact that in taking it, you have to deny Christ, okay? You have to submit to things that are totally not of God. And so that's what it's actually when you read it in, about it in Revelation, that's the point of no-no in God's eyes, is you have to deny or submit to things that are totally not of God. And so <clears throat> don't know that that's going to be the case, but it just made me think of it when I was watching it. So with those two things in mind, um, I just wanted to point this out to you. Um, that for us as Christians, there will be more and more occasions where we will have to say no to the ways of the world simply because of our faith in Christ. This will be the road less traveled, the least popular choice, but it will also be the road to life, the way of God, which will be in direct contradiction to what the world is demanding of us. And if you will, those who've got your Bibles or phones or whatever you're using, the next scripture is Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 23. It reads as follows. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the ones who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. All right. So uh, I just want to uh, kind of break this down for a little bit. Um, I would like for you to quickly get with two, three, four of the people. And I want you to talk about verses 13 through 14. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Talk about, I can tell you right now, this has nothing to do with the size, <laughs> the geographic size of a gate. Okay, Talk about why the Lord says, his gate is narrow, okay, because he's the way of life, and the other gate is wide. And, and how does that impact us as Christians? I'm going to give you about five minutes, so go ahead.
about a minute and a half. I start winding it up. All right. I know I didn't let you finish, but that's kind of the way it rolls. So, um, I'm not going to go around to each group because that would take too long. But uh, right here, this group, would one of you just kind of give a brief summary of it? You don't, might not have to highlight everything, but just what stood out. Stand up so they can hear you back there. People want the path to be wider than it is. And I think um, Jesus is the way and the truth for life. No one goes to the Father except through him. Um, but people want for there to be other ways that lead to God, and they look for other ways. Um, and uh, you know, when Jim was talking about with a lot of younger people these days, they talk about knowing God and believing in God, but they're really just walking their own path. And so to me, that creates a lot of room for width in the path when you don't ever actually have to submit to anything or change your life in any way except to say that, oh, yes, I believe in God. Um, and in this culture, a lot we're looking for a, a universalist approach where, you know, every method leads to the same God, and nothing is actually required of you in that sense either, except to do what you want. Okay, thank you. Um, Y'all's group, one of you. <laughs> one of you, please. Okay, good good thoughts there. I would love to hear everybody else, but anyway, 
you guys probably don't want to be here as long as that would take and for me to finish. So, but that was good. I like that. Okay. Um, so moving down um, that uh, to the end of that passage that I gave you, um, it said, um, verse 23, I never knew you, referring to the evildoers. It's interesting because those are the people who were prophesying in his name, driving out demons, and performing many miracles. And he calls them the evildoers. Okay? All right. Now, <clears throat> I looked up what the word means, new, that's right here. I wanted to get the context of that word. And so it is G-I-N-O-S-K-O. And it means to experientially know. And it's the same word, teenagers, close your ears. It's the same word used for sexual intimacy, okay, to know someone in that way, okay? And so the Lord is saying, basically, I'm, I'm putting it in my, in my um, own words. We have to be really careful. It's, it's kind of like the, um, it's not the same, but it's similar to this being spiritually alert. We need to be careful that we don't allow ourselves to deceive ourselves. I'm mentoring three young men at this time, and all three are in their early 20s. And one of the things that I'm telling them is because of where they are in life. One of them especially, uh, he's funny, but <clears throat> he's real and he's funny. He, he lets me know his struggles that he's dealing with. And he'll say, well, do I have to do <laughs> And I'm like, I'm not telling you what to do and what not to do. It's kind of like what Joseph was talking about two Sundays ago. But the thing I will tell you is you need to be upfront and honest with God about what's going on with you. Don't allow yourself to deceive yourself, okay? Always be going to God and pour yourself out at his feet and before the throne and ask him to reveal what needs to be revealed about you to yourself, okay? Um, and um, evildoers, if you continue down that passage of Scripture, which I'm not going to go, um, well, not that Scripture, it's the next one. Second Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, okay? It says this, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, which we just talked about up there in the other scripture, uh, but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. And if you go on down in that passage, it actually calls these people who do these things evildoers, okay? So, <clears throat> you know, in one sense, you could look at this and you could say, well, this has been going on from the beginning of time. And yes, it has. Okay. The thing for me is it seems to be building, coming to a crescendo. Uh, and it just seems like you can see it so prevalent everywhere you look in the world today. Um, so just keep that in mind and be aware of that. Psalms 12, 7 through 8 says, You, Lord, will keep the needy safe and will protect us forever from the wicked, who freely strut about when what is vile is honored by the human race. First time, well, not the first time I read that, but when I read that a while back, that stuck out to me like it had never stuck out to me before. Because... <clears throat> It's talking about the wicked here, 
who freely strut about when what is vile is honored by the human race. Now, I'm 58 years old. And for teenagers, they probably would say, oh, you're as old as Methuselah. And I thought the same thing when I was their age and people were my age and older. But when I, the reason why I said my age is because, yes, I'm old, but I'm not as old as hopefully I will get. And definitely not as old as my parents were when they passed away and went to heaven. And I was just thinking uh, when I was working on this scripture and thought about that scripture and went to it, I was thinking about, you know, when my mom and dad were living in younger days, in their younger days, and when their parents, my grandparents, were living, and then when their parents were living, uh, I actually know um, my family on both sides, we can trace our roots back to my mom's side, it goes back to the 1830s, and my dad's side, back to 1815. And we lose track at that point. But the reason I even mentioned that is I'm just talking about the generations. And I'm talking about when, um, for me and, and my uh, family, both sides have had family reunions forever, as long as I can remember and before. And... Um, when I was these guys' age and younger, the Schamberger family reunion, actually both of them, they were outdoors, and they were in the middle, of, they were in early July, around July 4th. So it was baking hot. You were outdoors. If you could find a tree to be under, that was welcome. But if there was trees, the older folks got the trees, and the younger folks had to move out the way unless there was extra space. So usually I'm in the sun, okay? And, uh, but that's, that was the respect you gave the older people, uh, you know, back then. And I can remember the family reunions. It wasn't about, it was about people coming together, but it was a revival. It was serious preaching. It was hellfire. It was brimstone. Um, things that we allow now, they didn't allow back then. They didn't allow back then. I was thinking about, for me, my generation, when I was probably, well, let's just say, up until the time I got about 12. Living with someone outside of marriage was, was taboo in my neighborhood and in my family and in the church I went to. As I became a teenager and went off to college, it still was a sin, but it was no longer taboo. And now it's nothing for unmarried people to live together, even among Christians. It's not anything, it's not anything wrong with that. Okay? That's one example. I'm sure there are plenty of others. And it's just the progression of what used to be sin and still is, according to the Bible, that we as culture and society, ain't nothing wrong with that now. When what is vile, okay, where is it? Uh, the wicked freely strut about when what is vile is honored by the human race. All right. Um, verse 21 above, uh, which was talking about those who do the will of the Father, of course, you guys know that means obeys God, that we obey him. I want to look at 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 1 through 10. In this uh, scripture, God instructs Samuel through Saul to go against the Amalekites and to kill every person and animal that they had. Saul goes to war against the Amalekites, but takes their king alive and keeps the best of the animals. So, in 1 Samuel 15, starting in verse 10, this is where I want to start reading. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was angry, and he cried out to the Lord all that night. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul, but he was told, 
Saul has gone to Carmel. There he has set up a monument in his own honor and has turned and gone on down to Gilgal. From looking at that, Saul sets up a monument in his own honor. Now, the Israelites have just had a great victory. They defeated the Amalekites. What can you tell about Saul's motivation here? Was it to bring glory and honor to God or to exalt himself? Okay. 13, when Samuel reached him, Saul said, the Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. (laughs) But Samuel said, what then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? Saul answered, the soldiers brought them. I'm going to stop right there. That sounds like Adam and Eve. Remember when they ate of the tree that the Lord told them not to? And then God confronted them about it. And Adam said, the woman that you gave me. And then the woman says, the serpent. Okay. Deflecting again, not taking responsibility. All right. So Saul answered verse 15. The soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But we totally destroyed the rest. Oh, boy. Okay. You know, again, we have to be careful that we don't allow ourselves to deceive ourselves. God gave specific instructions. Specific and and told them, destroy every man, every beast, everything. Okay. There was some other motivation going on. And... The Lord is using Samuel to call it out. Okay. All right. Verse 16. Enough, Samuel said to Saul. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, Saul replied. He knew it was over right here. Samuel said, although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. And he sent you on a mission saying, go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Wage war against them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag, their king. He didn't tell him to bring back Agag, the king. The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder, and the soldiers are under his command. The best of what was devoted to God in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. So now he's pointing, okay, the Lord your God. Okay. Not, apparently it wasn't Saul's God. Okay, it was only Samuel's. God was only Samuel's God. Okay, got to be very careful that we don't deceive ourselves. But Samuel replied, verse 22 Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed or to obey is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, another word would be witchcraft, and arrogance or pridefulness and stubbornness like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. All right, so we can't do religious stuff, quote, in the name of the Lord, and... It's not 100% what God has commanded us and told us to be doing. And expect God to approve it. We just got to do specifically what God has told us to do and move on from there. The next sermon in here is where is our hope, our source, our true north? So 
the reason why I say true north is I'm, I'm talking about uh, referring to Polaris, the North Star. Polaris, the North Star, is used for navigation, or at least it used to be specifically. It still is, I'm sure, and to some extent, but we've got all this technology now. But before all of that, people used it to figure out where they were and where they were headed because the North Star stays over the North Pole. It doesn't move like the other stars. And so if you find that North Star, you know it's always north over the North Pole. Then you can figure out where south is, where east is, etc. Okay? So <clears throat> where is our hope, our source, our true north? All right. Psalm 33, 18 through 22. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love, to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. All right. So I just want you to, um, to notice, one, we're going to talk about what is hope in a second. But I want you to notice that for those who put our hope in him, verse 19, he delivers us. He delivers us. Uh, he keeps us alive. Okay. In famine. And that just doesn't mean food, I don't think. But he keeps us alive. All right, um, so what is hope? Well, I looked that up. Hope means to expect, to anticipate, to desire, to trust, to rely on. In the world, the way we use the word hope many times is in a very opposite meaning. For example, I might would say, I hope so-and-so shows up but he has a history of not showing up, okay? So I use the word hope, but is there a whole lot of expectation, anticipation in that? No. Or I might would say, I hope I get that job, but I doubt it, okay? Many times in the world, that's the way the word hope is used. But I really would like for us and for God to cause his people to start using it in the way God intended to be used. All right. <clears throat> so when we're looking at where our hope is placed, we need to not just automatically answer that by saying that our hope is in the Lord, but we need to take a good look at our heart and at our actions and see exactly where our hope is placed. We may find that with a thorough examination that our hope is in other places things, and people. Last um, sermon. Who is our source? Where are we looking? And who are we looking to for answers, for help, and for victory? We're going to use Zechariah 4.6, which says, Not by might, nor by power, but, my, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. And Psalms 33, verses 16 through 19. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. All right. So <laughs> these next, um, we're winding up, but these next uh, scriptures are just so, uh, I don't know how to, a word to give it to you. So we'll just go through it and you can figure it out. Judges 7. All right. So this is about Gideon and Gideon's army. And for those of you, uh, you know, Gideon was not... Uh, he didn't have great self-esteem, 
okay? Uh, he was not one of the great and mighty men in his own eyes, that type of thing. And so, but the Lord chose him to lead the people and to go up and fight a battle, all right? And once Gideon finally got to the place where he was willing to be used of the Lord for that, this is where this is picking up. So uh, Judges chapter 7, we're going to read verses 1 through 3. It says, early in the morning, Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all his men camped at the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Gideon, Midian into their hands or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. Now, announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So, 22,000 men left while 10,000 remained. Okay? This is totally contrary to what the world would tell us to do. Right? Even today. It's all about how great we can be militarily. Okay? So, the Lord is saying to the leader of the army, you got too many men to go up into this battle. Okay. Number one, he chose Gideon to lead them. Next, they got too many men to get the victory. The Lord wants them to whittle it down. And the reason why he wants them to whittle it down is because if they go in with this large army and get the victory, the Lord knows that Israel will say, we won because we were the best. We had the most men. We had the best weapons, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Okay? <laughs> that's what we're supposed to have, right? That's what we're supposed to have. But no, that's not the Lord's way. Okay? He said, we got to will them down. And then we're not going to read the rest of it, but as, if you go on to read it, you guys probably know the story, um, they, he has them will it down again. And he ends up with 300. Wow, 300. But then he gives some specific instructions to do to win the battle. And he does. He follows the instructions that God gives them, and they win the battle. Okay? Obedience to what specifically the Lord told them to do. We saw the same thing in the previous scriptures. Saul wasn't specifically obedient to what the Lord told him to do. He did most of what God told him to do. But then the other part, he did what he wanted to do. Okay? All right. Does anyone have it? Because I would have to go to my Bible. Anyone got judges in front of you? Can you keep rolling back there? Okay. All right. But the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. Take them down to the water, and I will sift them for you there. If I say, this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say, this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, separate those who lap with their tongues like a dog from those who kneel down to drink. 300 men lapped with their hands to their mouths. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the other men go, each to his own place. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites to their tents, but kept the 300 who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. Now the camp of Midian lay below him in the valley. During that night, the Lord said to Gideon, get up, go down against the camp, because I am going to give it into your hands. If you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura. And listen to what they are saying. Afterward, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So he and Pure, his servant, went down to the outpost 
of the camp. Now notice, before you go on, uh, Nathan, notice the Lord said, if you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp and listen to what they're saying. So Gideon, being Gideon, you're right, I'm afraid to attack. I'm going down to the camp. He didn't say, oh, no, Lord, I don't need to go down to the camp. <laughs> we don't need to go hear what they're saying. We're ready. You know, mm-mm. So uh, I'm with Gideon. I'm going down to the camp. All right, next. The Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the other eastern peoples had settled in the valley thick as locusts. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand of the seashore. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. I had a dream, he was saying. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, this can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. Keep going. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he worshiped God. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, get up. The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. Dividing the 300 men into three companies, he placed trumpets and empty jars into the hands of all of them with torches inside. Watch me, he told them, follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp, blow yours and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, just after they had changed the guard. They blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands. Notice no swords and military weapons here. All right. Uh, the three companies uh, blew the trumpets and smashed the jars, grasping the torches in their left hands and holding in their right hands the trumpets that were to blow. They shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. While each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. When the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. The army fled to Bethshita towards Zerorah, as far as the border of Abel-Mahola near Tabath. Uh, did you skip one? Go back a minute. Can you go back? Nope, you didn't. Okay. Uh, Israelites from Naphtali, Asher, and all Manasseh were called out, and they pursued the Midianites. We can stop there. Okay, so that's, the, is that what you want? Good, good, good point to point out. All right, um, so um, very quickly, even the story of Jesus, and I talked about this leading up to Christmas when I spoke, the story of Jesus coming, Jesus being third or second part of God, okay? But he comes to the earth to be the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. But the way that God's plan is, is he brings them into very humble surroundings where it's basically inconspicuous and people have been looking for a military king to lead them against the Roman Empire and God's Savior, salvation, God's Messiah comes in a total way that they don't expect because they're looking for one way and he comes another way. Again, we have to be careful for what we're looking for and make sure that we don't miss the fact that God is right here in front of us and with us because we're looking for something else. 
So to finish it up, Zechariah 4, 6 again, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Not by might, okay? So it's not going to be by our great ability to do this and that. It's not going to be by our own strength or even by someone else's strength. It's going to be by his spirit. We've got to be at a place where we are willing to go to God, get at the throne, fall face down, wait before him, receive instruction from him, and then do what he tells us to do. And with that in mind, I want to let you know that next Sunday, we're going to do things differently. Um, We're not going to have praise and worship in the way that we know praise and worship. There's not even going to be any musicians on the platform next Sunday. What we're going to do is we're going to come in here and we're going to seek the Lord. We're going to lay on our face. We're going to get on our knees. We're going to pray. We're going to sing. We're going to wait. Okay, that's what we're doing next Sunday. Craig is speaking, and we're going to hear what he has to say to us through the word. And then we're going to receive the word after he finishes and go home. Okay? So what I want you to do this week is I want you to be in prayer for yourself, for us as a church, because I want us to come with the spirit that we saw in Cynthia today when she got up and prayed. I want us to come broken before the Lord. I want us to come hungry before the Lord. Okay? And I'm not just really saying that. You guys heard me say, Joe referred to it last. I'm sick and tired of doing church. I want to see God. I want to meet with God. I want him to change me first. Starting with me. And I want him to use me in a way that he wants to use me to impact the world around me. And so I want us to come next week. And that's what we're going to do. So if you don't want to do that, you probably don't want to come to church next week. Okay. All right. But that's what we're doing next Sunday. So uh, worship team, you have the Sunday off. All right. Um, And PA, uh, tech team, you don't need to be here until about 930. Okay. All right. So uh, we will be here and we will start at 10. We'll come up here at the front and we'll go. I don't know the exact pathway, 